0: I think. (laughs) Hello, hello. Hello, how are you doing?
1: Fantastic, as one can be at ten sixteen PM.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sorry about that. I didn't realize how late it was for you, and that's why you asked this to be an hour earlier. So I, I I fully understand now why we're an hour earlier.
1: No man, this is this is part and parcel of living in Dubai when most of the communication, especially when I moved here first two years ago, was with North America. So I'm pretty used to some late-night conversations. It's uh, part of the journey of being in this part of the world.
0: How's Dubai? Do you like it?
1: I've had uh, two separate um, experiences with Dubai. So I, I was actually born and raised in the country where Dubai is, just in another city, uh, the capital, Abu Dhabi. So I did my high school and everything, born and raised, uh, everything here before I left to Canada. Uh, and I was there uh, from the age of 18 to about 31, so 13 years over there. And my wife and I just decided to come back two years ago and move to Dubai, just to be close to family. And I have completely different uh, memories of it it's almost like having a reverse culture shock when you come back to a place which was almost home. This time around, I was kind of kicking myself for coming back for the first year. And then Dubai has a way of growing on you for a lot of different reasons for the convenience, weather for half of the year. Um, Did I mention convenience? Lots of convenience of being here
0: so so what so. what's convenient about Dubai other than being near the f- your family right but what what's yeah what, what makes it special I've never been myself I do actually want to go but I've never been
1: yeah well you you probably know someone who's here um but the convenience part is I'm, I'm going to compare this to uh, life in North America and life in Toronto in Canada uh, specifically you kind of do everything yourself right so you go to work you prepare your own breakfast, you do your own lunch, you do your, you clean your own toilets, you shovel your own snow. Um, you basically do everything. And, and just now that, you know, uh, there's a proliferation of all these delivery apps coming through and my wife and I were sitting there and being like, ha, rookies, cause all that stuff has been in Dubai since day one. So, um, help over here, domestic help is, is really, really affordable just the way they've set it up uh, by importing uh, people from countries where they can still make a decent living here, not so much back there, or they're escaping something else. And in the nearby regions, so we've got a big population of Filipinos, Sri Lankans, Indians, Pakistanis, They kind of come in and take these jobs to help you live a domestic life with without lifting too many fingers, really. So that thing kind of uh you know gives you back time which is one thing that we're all looking for right like it's okay to make more money but it's even more okay to make or earn time back and the the other conveniences of having absolute safety and security like you could be walking down any alleyway 2am 3am 4am at night and and know that nothing's going to happen to you uh it's a pretty strict um in that cuz cuz no one's from here right you mess up your deported you're you're, you're going you're going back to where you came from um you don't you don't hang around there are no homeless people which is which is strange like we've i grew up in a country where i've never known that there could be homeless people um and stuff like that so that that kind of stuff is really good for especially like for my wife as, as as women for them that's on top of list right not having to clutch their their handbags and watch their laptops all the time and also, other silly things like getting valet service when you're going out for food, which is a basic uh, from any restaurant. It doesn't have to be in high high end restaurant. Mm. So the kind of life you can live as a middle class person here is the kind of life you get as a higher class person in in North America. You save the same amount of percentage um, of your income by living a higher quality of life, which is which is the thing that kind of Pulls people here so a lot of people come here i'm just going to come here for two years three years that's it four years tax free income oh did i mention tax free income yeah that's that's a big convenient uh, convenience factor as well and lastly travel it's it's the center um it's the center of the globe in, in a lot of many ways like there's i don't remember the stat but within within a 6 hour flight radius you can you can hit like I don't know what the number is and I'm going to BS this, but 50 to 60% of, of the world, um, which is why trade trade is so important in Dubai Dubai is a big trade hub for that very reason. Goods can come in and out. Um, and same thing for us, we can go in and out, you can pick up and go to the Maldives, um, go to seashells, go to go to the UK, even, um, in and around and, and do that on, on weekends, if we really wanted to, and we were adventurous. So, so, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things going for
0: it. Don't you have to be rich to live there, though? Or don't don't you need a lot of money? And that's the perception I have because I've never been, and I'm I'm slightly ignorant of Dubai. Uh, and all the all yeah. the stuff that you said already already sounds amazing. I didn't even know about that, especially the tax-free income. I didn't know about that either. So, do, do, yeah, is that just a misconception I have? Do you have to be rich to live in Dubai?
1: Uh, it's not a complete misconception. So there's obviously levels like every society has, has levels, right? I mentioned that there's no homeless people, but there are people living paycheck to paycheck, mm. but their, their paycheck to paycheck is a bit more comfortable than it would be back home where they were um, because of all of these things that, that are kind of take, um, taken care of. The The other thing is that you tend to make more money um over here for for a similar kind of job than you would back in your home country so it's true for um true for north americans at least i can speak to because that's my experience i can relate incomes of canadians and americans to here and just you know your base salary or your schools um for your kids paid off a car given to you by your if you're working at a good corporate job, like, you know, the American expresses and the standard charters of the world, you know, you get those kind of benefits for it. So you don't, even if you're not rich enough to live here, you end up getting to that place. Now it's really up to you of how you manage your money. And that's, that's not something um, a lot of people do here. There's a very, very big consumerist culture, keeping up with the Jones culture. Yeah. um like you know when we do our our personas for for product development too there's there's one persona that comes up all the time we call her Jumaira Jane so Jamera is an area within a neighborhood within within Dubai and we have this picture of Jamera Jane she's blonde she's got you know two young kids she does yoga um you know her husband pays for everything the kids are in and in really nice private schools, have swimming lessons after, um, and you know she she spends her time shopping for handbags and hanging out with girls at at um, at a coffee shop that serves coffee with a touch of gold, gold flakes on it because why not? Jesus and, Christ, yeah, uh, why not? <laughs> yeah, dude, it's there. There are some ridiculously rich people here who are not afraid to spend and it's, it's actually some it's delightful to see just because it's a spectacle um mm. not saying i would ever want to live that way if i had if i had that kind of money um i'd be more of a millionaire next
0: door kind of guy but I'm sorry i've got to interrupt <clears> you <throat> how much and what's the logistics and how much does a gold leaf coffee cost
1: Depends depends on where depends on where you go. Also oh, so there's but, several uh, levels
0: to a gold leaf coffee as well. It's not just as simple as, you know, it's a standard. There's a lower, no, no, lower it's, class. it's level. not a standard. But Jamira Jane
1: would know where to find one. So <laughs> when I when I was uh, when I was twenty or something, I had a friend from uh, I was still in university in in Toronto, and I traveled back, and another one of my friends traveled back, and that her dad was loaded. And it was her birthday show, uh, so she he took him to, or he took her to the top um, of Burj Al this massive seven star hotel. By the way, there's only two seven star hotels in the world, and they're both in this city. And I didn't even know there could be seven star hotels, but there are. And, um, I sorry, can you can still Yeah, cool. Uh, and she said, yeah, it was a nice birthday cake. And, uh, you know, we had, we had uh, gold, um, like gold paper on the top of my plate. And that's the first time I heard about it. And then I heard about these, these, these coffees that they have this, this paper version of gold. Uh, they kind of lay on top of it as a, as a finishing too. So it's not, it's not your everyday thing, but Jumeirah Jane will find it and she will have it.
0: So, so how much does it cost? I wouldn't
1: know. I wouldn't know. <laughs> it's not, it's I'm, I'm so far from that kind of crowd. I'm scared of asking.
0: I guess that being around that kind of thing has its advantages because it gives you something to aspire to, doesn't it? Even if you don't want to aspire to that kind of gaudy level of wealth, you know, buying gold coffees, you at least maybe want to aspire, uh, aspire to some of the success. So maybe um maybe it's an advantage in that way did do you do you feel like that yeah i would frame
1: it as as possibilities right where you start understanding the possibilities like what is possible with money Mm -hmm. or the fact that you can make that kind of money um like for and I'll, i'll give you a contrast experience for for my wife and myself so when i when i grew up my dad Kind of moved up the ranks um he wasn't doing great when he started in fact like he's he hasn't he was he was a working class laborer when he first came to the country um in the 70s when it was still a desert um there's no buildings no roads and you know they just found oil and they needed people to work in the fields um in the oil fields so gradually as he moved up his career so did my perception of possibilities kept moving up because I went into different schools. And by the time I was in 12th grade, um, I went to this really, really, really good good school, good private school, which was a completely new world for me. I came from very humble friends from a humble school and, and their humble parents and my humble parents. And, you know, uh, we go into the school and these, these kids have villas and you have a room of your own by yourself, that kind of feeling. And then on the other end, my wife was also growing up here. We didn't know each other back then. Um, and she was already, her dad was a banker from from the get-go. So she was doing really, uh, they were doing really well. Um, and they were hanging out in a very different crowd as well. So when I met her, her perceptions of possibilities and what's possible with money and what to aspire to was already a lot higher than mine was it's kind of like when you're reading some books um, or the people that haven't read the books you've read and you have all these ideas in your head and the people who haven't read that class of books are just are just unaware and it's it's hard to have a conversation with them about these things because they haven't explored those ideas in that book in the same way i hadn't been able to have these people um in my life as well to to have a conversation with and you know, now I meet them. Now I hang out with them. And they're some of the nicest people that I know. And they're super humble. Uh, they work hard. They've earned everything they've gotten. They were never handed anything. There are some uh, guys and girls my age that got handed down their their generation businesses and father's businesses and, and everything like that. And they have two Teslas in the, in the garage um, and, and a, a mansion that looks like a fucking mall. But you sit down and you have a chat with them and they're cool, humble people and they talk to you about everyday things and they're approachable. Uh, And sometimes my wife saves me with this, but and it's her friends mostly. The conversation starts veering off into all the things that they've done over the course of their life. And obviously because their possibilities have been different than mine, that I kind of lose track at what? You did, you did. what? You you went where? You shook hands with whom? Yeah. That you have that thing, and she finds me getting awkward because I've never had those experiences and I don't know how to relate and I don't know how to continue the conversation. Yeah. And they haven't had my experiences as a kid um, or or making do with making do with little. Um, so it's kind of funny, but you know, but you know, to your point, circling it up, I think it does open up a world of possibilities. It makes you think. Of a bit more that you can accomplish and get to
0: i i come from quite a, a similar place so barnsley where the thing i put on here live from barnsley barnsley's a, <laughs> barnsley's a small town in the uk and i've lived here for 10 or 12 years now and i used to live eight miles down the road and they're just typical small towns they were towns that um were quite affluent maybe 20 mm-hmm. or 30 years ago when we were when the uk was big into mining and the, the these days they're called former mining towns and that essentially means that around 20 or 30 i think it's 30 years ago all of the jobs just disappeared and that sent the areas into a massive depression so when i was when i, when I was growing up i i my parents weren't well off, but, you know, they, they managed. They weren't poor either. I didn't want for anything. But I was the same. I, I came come from a, a working-class family that had normal jobs. And all my friends had normal jobs. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't know of anybody until I, I started to, to discover the internet. And to be honest, maybe even just this last year... And even being part of the Visualized Value community, it was only yeah. right then when I started to realize these are potentially the possibilities of what you could do with those skills. And you look at you look at somebody like Jack Butcher that's may you know must be over a million pounds now with Visualized Value, and those kind of numbers weren't even a thing in my head. They just don't register. I. I I, I guess you feel the same way. You you just, you, you only know, you only can achieve what you understand really, can't you? And yeah. being around my family, being around my friends, being around all those kind of people, no, none of those people, I haven't got any reference points in my life where I can look up to them and say, they became a millionaire. So I can't sit down with them and have a conversation and say, how did you get to that? what happened what yeah. what mindset did you need what books did you read what what jobs did you have you know what what leg ups did you have along the way i haven't got any of those kind of things i'm guessing it was similar for you still is i guess
1: yeah and 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 i want to check this with you as well and, and your side but like when when we're growing up like that it's you're kind of aware of the affluent and their their lifestyle but it never hits you that maybe one day you can or it wasn't talked about in my household like that was never set as a goal right like the the advice from the parents was study hard do well get a good job and you know take care of your family and it was very vague kind of goals um they were never financial in nature they were never number driven um they were they were never that kind and and only and this is a funny thing because it relates to one of my first um boss's boss at my first job, and it was a sales job, it was a cold calling job, a pure hunter. You're you're hitting the phones 40, 60 times a day, getting rejected. And this guy comes on and he's new, so he's acclimatizing himself to everybody on the team and he's having one one-on-ones with everyone. He pulls everyone into a room, asks a bunch of questions, as and uh, gets to know them and, and kind of makes his mark that, yeah, I'm here now. And he sat down with me and he's like, okay, so, you know, why are you here? I'm like, here where? He's like, you know, to work, what are you here to do? I'm like, to, to, to make calls. And he's like, no, why are you here? Like to, to do a good job and give my customers good solutions. And he's like, no, why are you here? And he wouldn't stop asking that until he answered. He's like, you're here for the money. You're in a sales role to make money. That's why we do sales. We need to make commissions. We need to hit our targets. We need to make the company money so you can get paid. And he almost wanted to drill that into my head, like the money mindedness or mm. the money hungriness or someone who's chasing it um, to, because that was his way of motivating salespeople. If he dangled enough dollars in front of them, maybe they'll pick up the phone more often. I didn't need that because mm-hmm. I, I was looking to, to extend my visa to stay in the country. So I wanted to do a good job. So I can keep my job and keep my visa. So <laughs> I had different motivations and I didn't want to tell him that, but so I started agreeing with him. It's like, yeah, yeah, money. Yeah. Commission's Yeah, Let's do it, you know, and get the whole Wolf of wall street kind of yeah. thing going um, on the trading floor as well. And I, I still, still didn't fantasize money up until a few years later, when I was uh, uh, switched to a different team and I was actually picked up or poached by my mentor uh, to come work with him. And he had a very, very, very positive influence on my life. And he um, was someone I wanted to be when I grew up. And one of his main philosophies was to make more money, but not in an evil way not you wanted to work hard for it you wanted to earn it and he would constantly talk to me about the importance of having it of having properties of having um an income having something that grows having something saved up for your kids and i didn't i wasn't even married then and he and it was really inspirational to watch him because he came from nothing and he was making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year by the time he was what my age now 33 or or 34 and he was the boss of his own time um and he you know he'd, he'd bring us over for uh christmas dinners and stuff and i'd just be in awe of his house and how giant it was and the stuff that he had and you know all his his latest gadgets and his his latest nike shoes that he uses to play for football and um and and all that kind of stuff and that started kind of was the genesis for me, at least to start caring about money as a goal. Um, before, before this whole internet thing, which, which now is, is giving me the thing like, okay, I knew it's possible in the, the job scenario that you can make money. And now, as you mentioned, the VV crew and the people on Twitter that we're seeing today, showing that it's possible to do it sitting in your bedroom. Um, and, and and then with a laptop and taking what you've learned for the last 10 years or 15 years or whatever your craft is and turning that into millions. So I've had, I've had two different relationships where I've come to appreciate, um, money as a score, not, not really for buying stuff, but as a score of, of doing something really well and and putting it up. But I'm curious about you, like, did you, was, was the internet is, is, was there a particular person? That kind of got you thinking this way about what is possible. Mm. Um, was it a certain time? What was the trigger for you?
0: I think. I think to put some context around it, I, I spoke about my parents on one of on one of the other ones uh, the other day. My my parents have always let me do whatever I wanted. They've never pushed me to do any particular thing, which I think's had a massive positive impact on my life, and. Both of my parents have always been and still remain to this day hard workers, so all they've ever known is hard work basically so Same. yeah so so they instilled that into me that nothing comes easy you know the kind of things I say on Twitter all the time that I, I'm almost half joking when I'm saying them these days, but you <laughs> know hard hard work is the only real way to achieve anything worthwhile and Building skills takes a long time and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. all I've ever known and seen from my parents is hard work. It's all they've ever done. And mm-hmm. and I still think to, to this day, money isn't a massive driver for me, but I think that's because I've got to the level with Genius Division and with the agency that I have enough. And at the minute that's enough for me, so money – And and even when it wasn't enough for me, money was still never a big driver. Money has never been a symbol in my life or something to attain for, maybe to my detriment sometimes. Mm -hmm. But still, still to this day, money isn't particularly a driver for me. But kind of, how can I word it? Progressing, I guess. Progressing and having an impact in some way has been a driver for me for a very long time and when I when I was a kid I used to want to be famous in in some some way I never knew what that was going to mean but I just wanted to be famous so I've always had this thing in me where I wanted to you know make an impact on something yeah so the hard work thing was was really was really the thing for me and I don't know where it came from with me because I, I haven't ever really had a mentor. I've been surrounded by lots of good people, pretty much every agency I worked for before we made our own agency. I always used to say to them, I want to start my own agency one day. And they always showed me what they were doing and showed me some of the internals and the bits you don't tend to see as a designer, particularly. Yeah. So they always showed me how things worked. And I don't know where it came from in me, but for some reason, I always wanted to run my own design agency. As soon as I started to learn design at 18 years old, the goal was to run my own agency. I don't even know why. None of my parents, none of my family, no one else has ever run their own business. It was just a thing. And I I honestly don't know where it came from. I can't attribute it to any mentors or any other people who I looked up to who were doing the same thing because I wasn't surrounded by anybody who did. So... So in terms of mentors, I haven't really had any direct mentors. I, as I've as we've progressed through Genius Division, there is a couple of people that stick out in my mind, who I've had the opportunity to go to and speak to when I've needed them for something or to talk to something, talk through them with something. But yeah, the core for me has always been the hard work thing, and it still remains the the blunt instrument that i use for everything and if the way i still look at everything is the only way to get good at something is to just smack your head against the wall a million times so i haven't been surrounded by people like what you're describing really so i still at this stage even though i i don't consider myself successful but i guess on the on the surface level i would look successful to most people but i still don't consider myself with the people who, who who you're talking about obviously i'm not a millionaire i'm nowhere near a bloody millionaire but i don't i don't think of myself as them i still have and i don't know if you still feel like this i still feel a little bit like the working class kid that almost feels a little bit of disdain for those kind of people, that feels a little bit angry at them, even even though I, I don't ever outwardly show that, and I wouldn't ever say it, even though I'm saying it now, there's still a tiny little bit of me fighting at the back somewhere, that is this working class kid who shuns success, who, who doesn't want to become a millionaire, and doesn't want to become hugely successful because it it strays too far away from my roots do you know what I mean I'm I'm gonna
1: take a a wild guess here but I think dabbling in certain kinds of music also early on kind of (laughs) brings up into this place I think I saw you playing Pantera at some point in in (laughs) in the studio and like I've I've kind of like that was my first love, right? Like heavy shit, like yeah. really non sellout, non-commercial, won't play on the radio, none of your friends listen to it. Yeah. And the messaging in, in, in those kind of artists was never about um anything bound in the economic reality of life. It was if anything against that. And it was very against that. And that was Mm. were kind of impressionable at that age, and and those guys, you know, guys and girls become our mentors through through their words and their and their music. So I had that rebellious side when I when I was in university in in Toronto. So when you come as an international student uh, to Canada, you tend to flock together, birds of a feather flock together. So you you meet other international students, and I started meeting these kids from from Pakistan and from India, and given their economic situation there and the value of their currencies, they have to be extremely well-off to come to Canada and pay that kind of fees. You know, your, your regular middle-class and, and, and working-class people don't ever make it with the fee structure that is there for international students there. So you start getting exposed to the elites and, and possibly the ugly elites. Uh, the kids have never lifted a finger yeah. um, and have, have everything handed to them like they arrived to Canada with a car um, already in their name. Uh, Daddy paid for it. And, you know, I was, you know, in the back of a Popeye's chicken, grilling chicken, or working security jobs from 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. Um, and still trying to get good grades and, and stuff like that. So I, so I know what kind of disdain that you're talking about, and and, 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 and recently as well with, with the proliferation of, sharing or being uber transparent it's almost when you're scrolling through like oh, <laughs> youtube fuck <laughs> oh shit but but it's it's so funny because i still have a thirst for it but it's a very different thirst craig i, I don't know how to explain this but personally at 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 25 right like I've, i was already making six figures uh mostly through luck 'Cause I'm really stupid. I don't know how, how I made that. But my that was about about ten years ago and and we found out that my, my father was um, you know contracted on wouldn't say contracted, but diagnosed with Parkinson's. So that kinda put the the only working man in the family, with my mother being a housewife for her entire life, kinda his income at, at jeopardy and he couldn't work for much longer after that and there wasn't much saved up because it was all spent on me studying abroad so i've had dependents um not kids parents were for close to a decade who i've had to budget for plan for Um, i've had a younger sister uh, that was still going through college and education and still had to get married so there was a absolute need for the money and it wasn't for myself but it was for family and given the values that I've been instilled with, with family over everything, and you know, do whatever it takes. And then what it takes was money. So it kind of became a dual dual goal. Like I gotta hustle and work really hard to get this so I can make this part go okay. Um, so so that's been kind of a drive because no matter how much I seem to make um, the expenses started going up in line with that so percentage saved was getting less and less and less every year which kind of drove me batty. because I was, I was i was working super hard man and when you you check your statements at the end of every year and you're like where the did that go and then no um the 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 ladder you start climbing the ladder okay cool. How can i double this how can i triple this and you go you go mad and then you go mad for a year and you don't do anything because you're too mad at everything and and all the world and he said f that i'm not working hard this year everybody can go suck it i'm gonna do me and if you have a problem leave me a voicemail i'll get back to you in a year Uh, so that's that's the kind of relationship that i've that i've had It's, it's almost a love and hate and a more of a need than want um yeah. so now we're we're thinking about this at this age that my wife and i are married now for six years and we're looking back at our the other generation and we're like okay how do we not repeat the situation that they got into well okay we got to build our net how do we build our net we have to make more money and then that again becomes a goal not for again buying things but when i'm 60 or 70 I don't want to be asking anybody for help. Mm. I want to take care of myself, so that becomes a secondary goal. Again, it's not the primary goal, but you have to go get that so that you can satisfy the the other thing. So
0: yeah, yeah, I, I'm lucky to not find myself in that situation. Um, but I think I think you've you've experienced this as well. I think one thing that I hadn't realized and this is only a recent revelation over, over this year and with visualized value, is that I've worked so damn hard, like you, to develop these skills. And in my case, it's kind of marketing and design skills and, and to some extent running an agency skills as well. Although it's not me who runs most of the agency, but you know, I understand how to build an agency. I have all these skills that I learned and now I've been a designer for 15 years, I've never leveraged them into something else, you know, into a thing, the the whole Jack Butcher build once, sell twice thing. I'd never done that, and that was a revelation to me this year. And I think ultimately over everything else, I think it's important to develop that mindset over obviously there's there's needs we all need a certain level of money but I think if you develop the mindset that you're going to take the skills that you already know and package them into something else that isn't tied to your time I think that will inevitably lead to a potential infinite amount of money and right now in November of 2020 I'm still working out what that is for me but I've been put on a path now that I'll never be able to return, and my my new disdain is for doing hourly work, and trying to work out a way to change that, and, yeah. or to charge appropriately appropriately for it. Um, I, I, do you feel the same way as that after discovering VV and seeing Jack Butcher's ridiculous success?
1: You know, it is he's he's one guy. Out of all of all of the the similar kinds that I could I could actually admire because because of the way that he's he's doing it I don't know how to describe it but it's not cringe it's whatever the opposite of cringe is it's a lot more it's a lot classier than what you'd see on on Money Twitter for example uh, and it's it's a lot more thought thought through it's like having a conversation in your own head sometimes when I'm reading about the stuff
0: that he does. I think it's pure. I think it's pure to a certain point. He's he's, he's packaged his skills that he spent 10 years building into a product that's good. And he's built proof of work behind it. It, The the formula couldn't be any simpler. Build proof of work and then make Mm -hmm. a product from the proof of work that you've built. It's beautiful. It's beautiful in its simplicity. Almost a... Uh, a Zen level of simplicity to to it, and I'm not saying it's easy. It's not he easy at all. Yeah. And I think there's an element of what Jack did of a time and a place, and nobody had ever seen what he'd done before, packaged in that way. And I don't think you can mm-hmm. put the lid back on that. And I think if you want to to replicate the success that Jack has, it has to be something new and different. You can use the principles. But to get the same level of success, it has to be new. But what exactly. What I found with Jack of the purest example of everybody is that he's just like me. He's got a skill that he spent 10 years learning, similar to me. He's a designer, similar to me. He's got similar experiences. And for the first time, I found somebody, the mentor, I guess. He, he's not a direct mentor but somebody I could look up to who had done, come from a similar place as me in the UK, mm-hmm. gone to America, which obviously all, always looks kind of cool and successful and that kind of thing. But he, he'd, he'd gone from a crappy place in the UK to somewhere cool in America and done something pretty amazing. Uh, and mm-hmm. you're right. It isn't cringy at all. And yeah. that was the revelation for me more than anything else this year that that is possible to do with, with a skill. To be honest, I'd spent ten years building, and I was starting to doubt as to whether there was any value in it. I was starting to think, "I am I at the am I at the top of my game now? Is this it? Can I? Is it just going to be a case of me charging more for my work? Is it going to be a case of just working with more and more clients, which I love, by the way? But I've had this." feeling for the longest time that there's a better way to make more money not no yeah. not charging your time out there's a limit and there's a cap on that and we've all thought this at genius division for a while as well so that was the biggest revelation for me and jack was the kind of the the shining light of it Um, i mean we both joined visualized value at a similar time didn't we in, in february sometime yeah yeah well, it's it's a little
1: it's a little different to me. I think you you relate to him because of the craft that we're talking about. And my my income has never related to my time. Um, having having a sales role is the closest thing you get to to being an entrepreneur, in the sense that your income upside potential is unlimited. So whoever you're working for, they have given you a quota, right? You're going to, you have to close X amount of deals, generate X amount of dollars. But if you go 10 times more than your target, we'll pay you 10 times more commission. So it's always been the case of, it doesn't matter if you work six hours a day, two hours a day, 10 hours a day, you can hit your numbers. I knew sales guys that worked a day in a week, but they worked smart on that day in the sense that they networked or they played golf and they, they found connections to their family or whatever it was for them to help them close more deals. And we're talking B2B deals. So we're talking multi million dollar deals, which you take, you know, a few basis point off or a few percentage points off as your commission home. And I've seen guys like me work hard on the phones and, you know, just dial after dial after dial, like pursuit of happiness style, just one phone number after the other. So my, time and my income were always divorced, but not in the way that he's talking about it. So this is, has been absolutely new to me that you can package something like a hard skill. I didn't have any hard skills. I use soft skills. Sales is mostly soft skills. It's talking and, and negotiating and um, and having good habits and, and, and being an interesting person in, in general to have, to build a relationship with anyone from anywhere at any time. And it's the the thing that got me thinking the most, the, the the thing that stresses me the most about this whole process of building one, selling twice, is how do you take something so soft that's already has a chance to become really fluffy, right? Anything soft, which you try to teach, which I have as a as a sales manager. So when I when I became the VP um, of the company that I that I for, that was a job. It's like take whatever's up in here and give it to these guys so they can run the business. And you can sit up and and keep watching and keep helping those that that are faltering and keep pushing the ones that are succeeding even higher by just taking your experiences and your knowledge that's in your head and structuring it in a way that it makes sense for them. So the mistake I did there was that I hadn't developed a training program my my style is a bit more rough i'm more of a one-on-one guy it's like let's go out for a walk or let's sit down for a coffee or let's you know uh, go for a drive or something and that's where i would transfer my knowledge to them based on their individual circumstances what i'm learning from the way jack did is like maybe there is a way to turn these kind of sales principles which have been delivered to death Because I know this because that's how I learned. I learned it through books. Books were, you know, what, you know, for for the young ones out there, they're they're these nice paper binded together, a lot of words on them. It's before Gumroad was around and courses were were popular, and before slide decks. I learned all my sales from from those books. Um, So someone has already packaged it. There's all these fun kind of ways of packaging sales. There's spin selling with the registered trademark. There's XYZ selling techniques with TM on the corner as trademarked. And every, every six months or so, uh, you know, some, some guy would call, call the hell out of our managers and sell their training program to come and trail and sales guys like me in person. So I've kind of seen it all, but I've had a distasteful experience with these sales trainers, sales consultants. Because I just I just had a, the skin in the game problem with them where they would come and tell us all the stuff to do. But if it didn't work, they'd already be paid and they'd be out the door. Whereas I was the one who had to take their advice and apply it in my job. And if I suck, I get fired. If I do well, well, that's good too. So I had, I, I always, and my mentor as well, he kind of you know found them pretty distasteful and he talked about not listening to them. His one advice was to not listen to sales trainers. And he's like, find your own voice and, and see see what sells for you and take that. So now I'm coming full circle where I'm like, holy shit, I've been putting off something that I've been doing and not monetizing it and not profiting from it. Yeah. Um, so, and yeah. it's it's hard, man. It's, it's not, he makes it look easy. Um, and, but he'll be the first one to admit tell you it takes time.
0: Yeah. Oh, I've, I've lost, so, have I lost yeah. you.
1: But yeah, no, it's, it's an absolute challenge to package it up. I am on the journey, though, of trying to do that at the agency that my wife and I are running right now uh, to come up with with some sort of sales fundamentals for our clients. Our clients are small businesses. Like these are the old school businesses. These are the people that, they're my people. You know, they're the chiropractic clinic. They're the, the auto shop. They're the um, gym, uh, boxing gym down the street. Uh, and these people are craftspeople. They're good at what they do. They use us, our agency to generate leads through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, whatever. But then when the lead finally comes to them and they can't close, I get on the phone with them and I give them all these tips like okay next time you call say this first okay what are the objections you're getting okay let's break the objection down what does that objection mean what do they really mean it's like your uh your content onion theory it's like people are people are onions like their objections on the surface level are not the same ones that if you peel them and, and I have all these discussions so um Alina, that's my wife's name and I are putting together like this training deck for our our clients like okay if there was a video series of 10 videos that would help them close the leads that we're getting them um, better, faster, and more effectively, what would that look like? And if that works, and we get feedback from the market, and our clients say, like, holy shit, I tried your shit, I've 10 x my, my returns, then I know I'm on to something. So it's great that I have a testing market there, I have the time to do it, I just have a mental block. Of putting 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 your craft into a teachable format that is one to many yeah. is difficult one to one is sorted i can sit down with you correct today we can have a sales workshop right now i can run it for an hour and you would be an improved salesman by the end of the hour but at the when you're doing it one to many uh, i struggle with this um it's i don't know how to draw parallels so you know when you're doing ads and you're writing ad copy um, ad copy is the same thing as me getting on the phone and cold-calling somebody. right? It's someone who's never met me, never seen me. is not expecting to hear from me and gets called out of the blue. I introduce myself, grab their attention, give them a hook, get, uh, get the agreement to go to the next level of the conversation. The ad copy does the same thing. I suck at writing ad copy. I thought it'd be easy, right? They just take your sales skill and turn that into ad copy. Ad copy is one to many. You're you're hitting so many eyeballs with those words that you have to think a lot differently. Luckily, my wife is really, 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 really good at that, um, but she's deficient in the other side, on the on the one to one side. So it's a uh, it's a bit of a journey, man. Uh, turning yeah. turning your skills into a teachable asset or asset that you can teach.
0: You're completely right. I suffer from the same thing, and I've often I've often thought if it's this parallel of uh the success thing again and coming from coming from the idea uh well i'm british anyway so british people don't promote themselves they don't you know they don't shout from the rooftops about who they are so i had that level to get over at first i had to get used to writing 10 tweets a day even that was difficult to be saying the kind of things that I say on there isn't what a yeah. typical British, let alone a British designer says, because British designers are bitter human beings, basically. They they don't say the kind of things that I say on Twitter. So I had to get over that at first. And I felt inevitably a bit of a distaste to it, similar to you, because I work in marketing and I work in design. So I see these tricks I see straight through them. I understand what is going on and I feel guilty. Yeah. Yeah. I think guilt, guilt's a fair word. I feel guilty about using the same tricks that I know work, but aren't genuine or I don't feel that they're genuine because they're tricks. And I, and I can see, I can look at anybody online right now and see the tricks and the marketing techniques that they're using because I've seen them all and and I've done them all for clients. But when it comes to applying them to yourself, you feel like a fraud, you feel fake, you feel like it's not you. So, and there's a little bit of this rebellious thing coming back in me again, probably the heavy metal music thing, that I don't want to conform to the way that other people do it. So I've spent most of the year trying to find my way around that, of how to... Promote myself without feeling fake and cheesy and salesy. I haven't always got it right. And for the first couple of months when I joined Visualize Value and I realized, oh yeah, I've got this book that I wrote years ago. I should sell that. A lot of that was training on how to package things up and sell them. And now I look back on the Extreme Production book and on the Press Start stuff, and it probably isn't a thing I'd do again. I probably wouldn't make that kind of content again right now because it isn't anything to do with what I know. It isn't to do with design and all of the other skills that I've got. So I think inevitably now I've practiced on that stuff, the next thing that I try and do will be something to do with design or marketing or whatever. I don't know what that is yet. And I'm still feeling, feeling through the weeds as well with this stuff like you. But yeah. I would say one thing that... Now I've been writing 10 tweets a day. It was one of the foundational things that I've done this year. I feel much less icky and fake about writing tweets and promoting myself. It doesn't bother me as much because now I've realized that uh, this is what everybody's doing. Nobody really cares that you're doing it. It's just that you think everybody else cares because we have this this thing in built in us where we think that everybody else cares more about us than they really do when actually no one really cares about what anything that we're doing so I had to get yeah. over that I think promoting myself is the biggest thing for me uh, is, the, is that how you feel as well is it the is it the ickiness of promoting yourself selling it, yourself
1: it, it definitely is because it's let's let's look at a bit of the journey or, or a bit of context so when I I first started blogging, back when Blogspot was a day, but it was under a pseudonym, right? I started my, my you know, public life under a pseudonym, Abstractious. That, that's what I called myself because I wanted to write abstract stuff. And all I wrote, if I go back to that's some messed up stuff, And I should have like, sought help at that point. It's like really abstract kind of stuff. And I was, that was kind of me repelling against the cookie cutter pop music for the internet uh, versions of what people are putting out there as their blogs and their feelings and their experiences and oh look at me I'm so much more enlightened now that I've I've gone through this because I I I, I still I still have and you know that self promotion has been uber hard. There's there's another point to it. I don't know if you relate to this. Probably not because it's a bit of a uh, superstition. So we've been fed in from a family level. Like, keep your mouth shut when you're happy. Keep your mouth shut when things are working well. Do not talk too much about your life cause you know, karma gonna get you or there's an evil eye out there <laughs> just you know, waiting to poop on your party.
0: Yeah. And
1: that's been like super ingrained in us. And, and, I, and I say this as a contrast again, to my life partner who has been pretty open with her with her life and her travels and pictures and words and accomplishments and things like that, everything's online all the time and she's super popular. Um, she's super popular in real life and she's super popular in the online world. I'm not super popular in real life. I'm not super popular. In, I, I just work hard. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how to talk about it a lot or or you know pat myself on the back so graciously uh, in a classy way, all the fucking time. I'd rather be weird and abstract. <laughs> um, I don't know why I get the thrills from that, but it has to. It has been to my detriment when it comes to this world, the the build one sell twice world that we're in, is definitely a, a detriment. Like he, you know, Jack talks about you must be comfortable promoting yourself, and you must do it for a long time, and he does it super classily, right? And you think about it, like all the jobs and the interviews that I did. What the hell was I doing in my interviews? I was sitting there promoting myself. What the hell is my CV? It's you know it's my sawdust. That's what it is. It's like you know proof of work. I've done this, and I'm going to sit here and tell you what it is. And my product is my time. In this case, I'll come here for 40 hours a week, and you pay me X amount, and that's a that's a sale that you're making. So we're we're all doing this kind of in different areas of our life, I think. We do the job interview thing begrudgingly, like, oh, I got to go sell myself now. But now the mindset, mindset shift. What if you were to do it as a you know, normal part of your life? What if this was just the way you live? You're always in a job interview. You're always pitching. You're always showing your sawdust. You're, you're, you're flailing your, you know, your CV around to the world, um, real-time update on, on everything. Uh, so that's that's gonna take a while to get used to. Um, so I have another plan, a way around that. And I drew something out for for Alina the other day, and it's this concept of, of leverage, right? Like you you have uh, the whole build oneself twice. As you have this one, you reach a million people, and then you get your product and community built, and then you you know grow that. Me realizing that I'm. Probably not going to be very good at that, but I have extreme leverage over that one on the top, which in this case, let's say um, that's Jack, and then there's Celia right here, and she's kind of supporting him while he is going on and the face of uh, being the face of VV and being all the way out there. So it's uh, that's I think would be my plan A is to take take an asset, Alina, my wife in this case, was very good. At doing this whole outreach thing and self promotion, and does it without cringing. And herself is actually pretty classy too, and just support her in all the ways that I can. So I'm applying leverage, all my leverage onto her, um, yeah. and all my skills, and all my knowledge, and all my help, and time, and organization, and OCD, and planning, and, and sprint planning, project management, resource management, or like all of that stuff so that she may go ahead and pursue that, that kind of model. And she's much closer to that because she's already put up a course that's done semi-well um, on the craft that she's, um, she's an expert at, which is Facebook uh, Facebook ads, for small businesses. So that's a short-term plan for now. I'm gonna try that out. We're gonna take those principles um, and see how we can apply them to, uh, to her. Thing. even though she's not part of the community so I have to like bring her up to speed and like I gotta tell you about Vivi. <laughs> she's not even on Twitter
0: oh, wow yeah i yeah. I think there's there's a lot of value in that attitude there there is there's is certain people who are stars quote unquote there's certain people who are who are the front the fr- at the front of products there's salesmen there's spokesmen there's the frontman and um, and there's a whole raft of people behind that who are, who are usually uh, doing much more work than the, than the person at the front. you know you've got the news anchor and then there's all the researchers and everybody else who has sat behind them. Uh, Hard work. Yeah,' it's, it, it's good to hear that you've you've come to that understanding because a lot of people spend forever trying to be the front the front person, the news anchor when they're not a natural at it uh, and it and mentally it it's very tiring for them to to be the front person on things and and to be the face of things all of the time when they're much more comfortable planning things and and getting into the nitty-gritty and working out the live the leverage and all that kind of thing i'm hopeless at that kind of stuff i absolutely hate planning anything that isn't my strength (laughs) at all i am the the, the front person of these kind of things. I love talking to people. I love being in kind of sales meetings. I love selling genius division. I love designing things. I love being out there. I'm I'm an extrovert in that way, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not a big fan of the project management stuff and the details. I, I'm not a detailed person at all. It's something I've always struggled with. And I think there's yeah. there's a certain point in your life where you realize those skills you finally say to yourself, I'm going to give up trying to do this thing that just isn't working for me and I'm going to focus on the things that I'm good at and I've found as soon as you realise that and if you're surrounded by other people who are open open to realising that as well and, and know what they're good at and do it, you you're 10x 100 times, 100x your results because everybody's doing the thing they're good at and I, that is... One of the hardest things to work out, but it's cool that you've worked it out because, yeah, if that's what you feel you're better at, you're definitely gonna get much better results than both of you trying to fight to be the front of things when maybe one of you naturally is the planner side of it. Hundred percent. I, I came on to the business three three months ago,
1: and um, it was precisely for that reason. Like the business needed. It was a solopreneur uh, venture, and it needed a COO type of role, like not to get into titles, but someone who can make sense of of the chaos that is, you know, a solo person trying to do everything all at once. Um, And, you know, it was a pretty clear transaction between myself and her is that I'm your admin person that has a strategic mindset. That's what I am to start with and i'm also the mentor on on client relationship stuff so she's good at her craft you know getting facebook campaigns out writing the ad copy doing the creative work super good but she's new to the whole client relationship world and i have experience with that so I'll, I'll jump in when there's any high level discussions that need to happen with the client on a strategic level whether it's negotiating prices with them extending contracts yada 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 and then on the other side you know, build up the whole notion so that you know it's a collaborative effort. We have all our resources in one place. There's naming conventions. Shit, invoices are going out on time. Someone, you know, creating a fake account to chase down in, invoices from you know the accounts team. At,
0: the you know, trick. doing all
1: that, <laughs> doing doing all of that stuff just gives me joy. Um, only, 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 and only if I know that. It's leveraging growth for us somehow. So yeah. the more time I'm able to save her, um, and which is coming in various ways now, right? So it's coming in the way of like when I when we bring on a new employee. We just hired our first uh, a month ago. The systems were there for her to onboard like that. Um, and this 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 we love this girl. She's come in. She's young. She's 24. She's hungry. She just wants to do stuff. And my job was that before she comes on, don't have anything in her way. Like don't let her walk into a room with all your Lego toys spilled over the floor for her to step onto, you know, have your neatly built house ready, have your bridge ready, have your moat ready and have everything ready so that she can just come and play and use them in the way that she wants. It's almost like, you know, before you start cooking, I'm the guy who always has the onions in a separate uh, chopped up in a separate place. The spices all lined up in a separate place. Uh, the meat thawing somewhere else and it's you know when you walk in the kitchen you know exactly what to do because everything's been done for you yeah. so kind of set that stage up so that if she ever complains that hey I, I can't take on more than 10 clients in a month because all my time is being sucked up and we can't scale up even another client or make more money or save more money whatever it is take that excuse away by building systems which has made things a little bit faster it's only been three months it's always a work in progress and we take that saved time and use time as currency to invest it in products so if i save her four hours a week uh, of work on client stuff we put that four hours of her in front of a camera in front of a camera in front of a a deck in front of uh, tips and tricks that she can come up with record herself we'll put it together as a course um, or and we split those four hours into that and a bit of marketing. So we just get into Instagram and, and do some posts, you know, go behind the scenes, whatever that is. So that's a, that's the plan for now. It's it's all related to product building, but it's not in the intuitive sense. It's it's more it's more of a growth by reduction kind of kind of a mood that we're in. So we're not trying to come up with anything new. We're trying to reduce. Um, or get rid of stuff that is holding us back and that's been that's going to be the focus till the end of the year is like, what can we take away from the business what should we not be doing uh anytime we talk about stuff that we should start doing we both look at each other with disgust we're like we talked about not wanting to start anything new let's take away stuff and we're we've just been picking away stuff man it's so much fun
0: trashing stuff it's great it's, it's a great relief it, it, it sounds awesome. I, I, we had the exact same experience with Genius division with our agency when we hired an admin person for the first time um to to chase invoices to organizers to do everything we actually hired a real person to chase invoices <laughs> but um a, a lot of a lot of our invoice chasing is all automated now so our our main studio manager doesn't have to do any of that but when we brought them in. To the business they organized us and gave us the freedom to do everything that we wanted to spend our time on which was taking us taking us away from the actual work the way that we make money the thing that we were good at you know we're selling creative work and we're selling development work and we were spending most of our time doing the admin stuff and then bringing that other person in to take that away from us it was an absolute dream it was the the best thing we'd we'd ever done. And for for a long time, we thought, "Ah, do we really need this member of staff? Do, you know, we were going through all the usual things. Well, we can do it ourselves. And one of the biggest things I learned that we all learned is, yes, you can do it all yourself if you really, really want to, but you'll spend the entire time doing everything yourself and never doing the thing that you actually started the business doing. And, And the thing you become good at. The thing people are hiring you for, you'll spend no time doing the thing that people are hiring you for. So it is important to absolutely have somebody like you. I'm I'm jealous. Yeah. Um, but do you do you guys call each
1: other out for for doing, let's say, mundane admin stuff that you catch yourself by habit? You're just still doing it. Do you, do you guys call each other out? It yeah,
0: like yeah, yeah. We do. We I think we're. Yeah. We're still a little bit guilty of doing all the email stuff, but we do call each other out and say, "Well, couldn't so and so be doing this? Couldn't so and so be doing this? Isn't that a better use of their time rather than you doing it?" Because we've all got different skills and and different stuff that we're better at. So, yeah, it sounds like really exciting times. I'd I'd love to talk for for ages about all this stuff, but we've yeah. gone we've gone an hour, an hour and six already. Jesus Christ! How'd that happen? That's absolutely flown by, man. Um, yeah. We didn't even get on to the thing that I've, I've called this episode, selling <laughs> CDs at 14, and we didn't even get on to the, the whole selling CDs at 14. Uh, maybe next time we should do it again. Yeah. Have sure, you, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where the hour went. I know it's absolutely flown by, but that's the power of a good conversation. It just flies by. Have you uh, sure, man. got any final things you want to say? You've got 10 seconds. <laughs> Yeah, you put me on the spot like that. Oh stage fright. <laughs> the the answer
1: is no. <laughs> but no, this has been fun
0: man. Absolute yeah. fun. Speak to you soon, man.